Hello and welcome to Until We Rise podcast with Rachel and Veronica, where we bridge a divided people to loving community, empowering resources, and a compassionate Christ. Hello and welcome to chapter four of Do You Want to Be Perfect? I am very excited for you to get to this. I'm actually pretty shy. I'm not going to lie. I feel like this is something that I had to be healthy enough in my heart to be able to write. It taps into a little bit more of my personal life rather than just um, other things that I've experienced with others. So this is very different. I guess all of them are kind of personal, but this one's like like emotionally personal when it comes to like my dating life and so um, I'm sharing with you some pretty intimate times of like early on romance and some other things that happen in dating and just growing up that can be challenging and so I hope you have a little moment to laugh and I hope you have a little moment to be sincere and mostly I hope that these stories are shared never just for me to show off what God has done in me or what I've experienced but really that hopefully it relates to maybe some turmoil or some things or some something that you can connect to and hopefully get some something out of the revelation that God showed me um and so really talking about another angle of being perfect and what is what God's telling us biggest themes here for me are changing and paying attention to the narrative in our heads as well as offense being one of the biggest hindrances hindrance hindrances to our perfection in God. So I really hope you enjoy it and um yes here we go chapter four chapter four sweep me off my feet. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. James 3, 2. Our love story started when we were 10. We both attended a small storefront church in South Central Los Angeles. Since we were only a few months apart, we were basically raised together. We were in the same kids' church classes and in the same youth group. Our church was different from the cool hipster churches nowadays. Not only did services last hours, But we were there what seemed like every day. Saturday was outreach, Sunday morning service, Sunday night was spiritual growth classes, Tuesday night Bible study, Thursday was worship practice, and Friday was service and more outreach. That didn't even include the youth events. All the time spent together made the bond with our church family tight. We celebrated everything together, from birthdays to weddings and everything in between. After church festivities today may consist of a fancy latte and a pastry at a trendy local spot, but back then in South Central Los Angeles, circa the 1990s, the ultimate church after party was when Mona cooked and Miss Dorothy made her famous cakes. Those sheet cakes were huge, and though she was getting up in age and seemed to have a hard time getting around, nothing stopped her from blessing us with her famous cakes layered with extra frosting. Her go-to response when people would ask her what her secret was, was, they made with love, baby. Miss Dorothy's cakes were a staple in our diets as children. Like every 
had their mm. after church festivities today may consist of a fancy latte and a pastry at a trendy local spot but back then in south central los angeles circa the 1990s the ultimate church after party was when mona cooked and miss dorothy made her famous cakes those sheet cakes were huge, and though she was getting up in age and seemed to have a hard time getting around, nothing stopped her from blessing us with her famous cakes, layered with extra frosting. Her go-to response when people would ask her what her secret was, was, they made with lots of love, baby. Miss Dorothy's cakes were a staple in our diets as children. Like every other kid at church, we would linger around the cake to see if we could somehow come up on an extra slice. We ran around the fellowship hall playing tag, being scolded and told to have some respect for the adults. We were both a bit quiet when we were kids, watching the older youth flirt with each other and clown each other about their outfits. From rap battles to yo mama jokes, the older kids led the way. They showed us what it meant to be a teen, and we watched. We grew older, rarely talking to each other, but always ending up in the same places. We were both in choir, both went on missions trips and participated in all the cheesy church plays, but it wasn't long before he was a part of the in-crew at church. He was one of those quirky kids who everyone loved and was remarkably talented. He acted in plays, did impersonations, played on the worship team, both the drums and the keyboard, and he basically excelled in anything creative. Lingering on the outskirts, I had a harder time finding my niche. I was the ultimate church girl. I led Bible studies, I followed the rules, and I was definitely focused on school. By the time we were in high school, we lived in what seemed like two different worlds. He was easy to be around, and he made people laugh. I was clearly labeled as the untouchable girl, and many feared that if I was invited to do anything risque, I would tattle. Although I later found out that many guys had crushes, I was never approached. I'm not sure if it was just my personality or the fact that my parents were really no-nonsense kind of people. I think everyone was a little afraid of my dad. I'm not sure, but I was not the girl who was gonna leave during service to go make out in the alley. I was far too uptight and no one wanted to deal with my crazy Puerto Rican father. I guess my tower was my attitude and my dad was the dragon that guarded it. Now, looking back, that seems a little excessive, but I suppose it was part of my story. So generally speaking, I was not invited to chill. While we joked around with his while he joked around with his mischievous best friend, seemingly scheming to get girls' numbers at the regional church events, I was the one trying to be cool, but found myself frustrated when people didn't take time with the Lord seriously. I was the kid that was mindful of curfew, making sure we all contributed to the gas money, and cringed when my peers had the audacity to curse at a church event. I was that girl. It was an odd matchup when I turned 18 and he started to poke his head around my car. His glances in my direction would linger and, a, and word got around that he had a crush on me. He was bold 
Hadn't he met the fire-breathing dragon that surrounded this tower? But it was that boldness and that confidence that looked past the dragon that caught my attention. He was so talented and creative, but I told myself that he was not the kind of jokester that was supposed to be in my happy ending, so I brushed him off. At first, he just hinted at needing a ride home, and when we would caravan to a regional event, he made it a point to ride in the same car as me. He would find creative ways for us to be alone and talk. It seemed that he was playing the long game, the teenage long game. He didn't tell me he liked me, but in accordance with the game, he would tell his friends to tell my friends to tell me that he liked me. He would have our mutual friends deliver notes and organize movie trips so he could find a way to sit next to me. I was so shy when it came to guys that undoubtedly made it a challenge for him. I was so tight, and even though he would go out of his way to get my attention, I blew him off so many times. I may have appeared obnoxious, but I was just a scared teenager. I didn't know what he wanted, and I really didn't trust any guys. Nevertheless, after months of this game, I decided to entertain the idea of getting close to him. I would drop him off at his house after Bible study, and I would linger a little longer after church in hopes that we would happen to connect. I told myself, Rachel, you know about guys like him. But before I knew it, we were on the phone for hours. To get my attention, he started leaving Love Is newspaper clippings on my car windshield. He passed notes to me in church telling me how pretty I looked. I blushed and laughed it off. However, when senior year activities were coming up and the main question at school was, who are you taking to prom? I didn't know, but I was so nervous. I thought I was supposed to have a boyfriend by that time or at least that magical high school moment at my locker when a secret admirer would nervously ask me to prom. But that never happened. And even though it never happened that way, I guess I missed the plotting and planning he was doing to get my attention. He was very aware that prom my prom was coming up and he was making sure that I knew he wanted to be my date. All of my friends urged me to ask him. I was so nervous. This was not how it was supposed to go. I was not supposed to ask. But the time was coming around and I hadn't locked anyone in. Since he was telling everyone that he wanted to take me, I knew I wouldn't be rejected. I ended up, and he ended up being my date for all of the senior act events, prom, senior dance, and grad night. It turned out to be a lot more magical than I thought. Even though I made the call and no one ever met me at my locker to confess their secret love, he made it so much nicer. We ended up spending so much time together and he took me on our first date to the Santa Monica Pier where we ate McDonald's and walked the boardwalk. He treated me like I was the flyest thing in town. We had long, deep conversations and he respected every boundary I had. He still made me feel like I was untouchable, but in the best way, like I was on a pedestal. And on top of all of that, he really knew how to make me laugh. The summer of 2000, right after graduation, was the stuff teen romance novels were made of. At the beginning of the summer, we knew we were both going off to college in the fall. So he told me clearly that at the end of the summer, it would be over. And when he said that in May, it was fine for me. 
I had big plans for college. I had big plans for a whole world of adventure, new friends, romance. I watched so many episodes of A Different World and Saved by the Bell, the college years, that I knew college was made for the young. I was excited to start that chapter of my life. But the storyline shifted a bit as the weeks went on. We ended up spending a lot of time together that summer and feelings started to change for the both of us. One day after church, we made some silly, unnecessary run to the store just to hang out and he got out of the car. When he started to leave and turn back around, he leaned into my car. Rachel, you know you're my girl, right? I nervously nodded and giggled. Wait, what? Did that just happen? Wait, was that official? I was enamored and offended all at the same time. While I was overwhelmed with the idea that I, Rachel Caban, the square had a boyfriend, I think I was still tripping. Does he think he can just ask me any old kind of way? That was definitely not the storybook asking that I expected, and it definitely was not how it happened on all the teen shows I watched on TV. Nevertheless, I had a boyfriend, and we were both falling for each other. As the summer came to a close, the question of whether this was to continue or not was becoming urgent. We both knew that our lives were about to change forever. I was moving to Riverside and he was moving to Fresno. He would make it a point to send me cute messages like, I miss you, or in 90s pager code, one star, one seven seven, one five five star, four zero zero. And my heart would flutter. I began to look forward to when we would have another reason to hang out. Then one morning, as I was sitting in my summer school class to make up a D, I got an AP English lit. My pager buzzed. I felt the vibration and I sneakily checked to see if there was a cute I miss you or thinking of you. But this time it was a voice message. I pushed the pager back into my bag and I anxiously watched the clock for our lunch break to start so I could go to the payphone to check my message. As soon as the bell rang, I gathered my things and walked directly to the payphone near the squad, the quad. I dropped in the coins and put the phone to my ear. I knew it was him, and my tears began to well up in my eyes. No message, just Drew Hill's These Are the Times played, in the mic- played into the phone microphone. He made it a point to record that part of the song that said, I'll wait for you, you wait for me. Cisco's smooth voice had me. I was torn. Was I falling in love? How could I resist? It was playing out just like a young summer love story. It was so romantic and intentional, so thoughtful and so passionate. He wanted to wait for me. He wanted to be my boyfriend for real, for real. We ended up dating for six years after that. Neither of us remembered the day he leaned into my car or the day he sent the voice message to my pager. So we decided to make prom our anniversary. It was like a dream. In September 2000, he moved to Fresno and I moved to Riverside. No cell phone, my pager got disconnected and we just went for it. He sent me letters and it wasn't long that we got used to emailing each other from the computer labs in our dorms. My roommate and I activated a landline in our dorm and he figured out how he could reserve the payphone in his dorm. 
We would speak for hours between classes. It was hard, but we made it work. We scheduled time to talk and our connection grew stronger. He wrote me poetry. He sent me songs. He made every effort to visit and we would often meet in LA for the long weekends. Like every young couple, we had our ups and downs and we fought over petty things. But overall, we learned to confide in one another. We grew close. It was truly the kind of young relationship that I would dream about as a child. That is, until it wasn't. Now I could say we both played a part and we both had our flaws, which would be true. But the core of what happened with this love story was something that had been brewing in me for years. People like to call people like me hopeless romantics. It is all about the love story. The grand sweep me off my feet gestures were the highlights of every love story. It is when Sleeping Beauty is awakened with a passionate kiss and when the prince searches high and low to find Cinderella after that one fateful night of dancing and magic. It was, it was what Hollywood love stories were made of. And for me, it was how I narrated my life. I measured the success and failures of the events of my life based on how it looked in the storyline, how it played out in the narrative plot. It may be funny now because my friends joke around about my inability to quote or even remember movies. Nevertheless, I am all about the narrative, the storyline. How will it end? What is the turnaround in the story? How will the reconciliation happen? In my head, I was always painting a picture and trying to piece together how the writers would bring it all to a happy ending. I remember one year he wanted to go to Six Flags for our anniversary. We were about 22 years old, and that was a completely normal and fun way to celebrate. But I was frustrated about how it fit into the storyline I had for our relationship. This plot I had lined up in my head was not just based on movies and TV shows, but it was also influenced by other people in my life. I was graduating college, and I was ready for the next exciting and mature phase in the story. I saw what my friends were doing, and I saw what their boyfriend, where their boyfriends were taking them. They were getting engaged, going on trips out of the country, and having romantic little getaways. I was not content with how my storyline was playing out in comparison to theirs. I had a vision for what our love story was supposed to look like by that time in our lives, and it was falling short. He was falling short. I had a storyline that I had pieced together about what success looked like, and I expected it to look like the movies. Young, star-crossed lovers, high school sweethearts. At first, it was hashing out nicely, but as time progressed, he really wasn't moving the way he was supposed to. When I graduated college, he should have already been doing something the viewers of my story would value and appreciate. I wanted him to be the man, the breadwinner, the protector, the provider. He needed to be strong, yet supportive boyfriend, who wasn't a pushover, nor was he intimidated by my success. We would start off our careers, get engaged, then we would get married. We would be married for a few years, then have babies, maybe two, a boy and a girl. That was how the storyline was supposed to go. 
easy, right? The challenge is that life is not that cut and dry. People cannot be forced to fit into a storyline. That is not how life worked. I hate to say it. I learned that the hard way. After college, I became a teacher. He was pursuing his career as an actor and a comic. Needless to say, these were two very different paths. He pressed into our relationship, supporting my classroom endeavors and chaperoning school dances with me. But my storyline was not moving quickly enough. I wanted more. Not only did I want him to change, but I was really fed up that nothing in my life seemed to line up the way it was supposed to. My parents were having surgery. My brother moved out of state with his wife. My job was so demanding, and I couldn't even afford a decent one-bedroom apartment in L.A. What was the point of all the hard work? What was the point of these degrees I had framed up and were up on my wall? This was not how I imagined adulthood. I had prepared and worked too hard for my life to be this mediocre. Our relationship was just the tip of it. I was losing control of everything I thought I could manage into the right happy ending. My family, my future, my career. Remember, this was how the time this is around the time my dad was first diagnosed with liver disease and it was intense. I was afraid that my dad was going to die and as selfish as it sounds now, I thought, who would walk me down the aisle? Many of you are probably saying that I was right or even justified in that thought. But really, I'm not so sure. Even though I had every right to feel that way, I w- and I was really sad, if I'm honest, I was consumed in my own imaginary plot. I couldn't see past the skewed and selfish perception of my life in the grand scheme of things. And I was missing what was right in front of me. My dad's entire existence was hanging in the balance and I was consumed by a singular moment in a storyline that would last all of 30 seconds. Who gives away this woman? The pastor would ask. Her mother and I do, my dad would respond. Then a single tear would fall down my mother's perfectly made up face. The room would be filled with awe and amazement at the sheer beauty of the moment. They would all be enthralled by the beauty of me. At that moment, everyone would see me. Finally, I would be seen. Women would envy my flawless figure. Little girls would see me and stare in wonder at my bridal glow. Everyone would celebrate. It would be perfect. Then it would be over. Oftentimes I found myself having a really hard time stepping out of the fantasy, the rigid judgment of the storyline. I think it was because in that place there was always a happy ending. In that place all the loose ends were tied up And in that place, I could hide from reality. In some ways, that place was also where my faith remained. It was like the promises of God were equivalent to the happy ending at the end of Cinderella and every other fantasy story I had read. 
The sunset, the long adoring stares, the passionate embrace were hand in hand with Noah's Ark making it through the flood, David cutting off the head of Goliath, and Jesus rising from the dead. The stories always ended there, and I never took the time to realize the nuances of the plot. I didn't consider Noah's awkward drunk night where his sons found him naked in his tent, or the time David had to run from Saul after killing Goliath. I never saw past the resurrection to the heartbreaking moment when Jesus put Thomas's fingers in his wounds to prove that he did what he did and he was who he was. So in my storyline, nothing was panning out. My schoolwork was stressful. My job was an unsupportive and toxic place. And the hospital was my second home. The least my boyfriend could do was be supportive and marry me, right? I was grasping to hold together a warped image of the storyline I had imagined for my future. I remember I was still, and remember, I was still a good girl. I was following the rules. I was not living in sin or breaking the law. I was even on a noble career path as a teacher. I had created the perfect exposition for a perfect life. Surely God saw that I was going to help a sister out. When we finally broke up after months of petty fights and pointless arguments, I had convinced myself that he was the problem. He didn't appreciate me. He was intimidated by me. He wasn't man enough for me in my Tony Braxton voice. He didn't really show me. He didn't really love me. He was unselfish. He was superficial. He was, he was, he was. The problem was that no matter how much I made him out to be the bad guy, I was still faced with the problem of trying to piece together my fairy tale. The story was torn now. Some pages were frayed and folded up, while others were water damaged from all the crying. The cover was ragged. Some chapters were completely torn out. I felt like I was alone in a room with all these scraps and fragmented pieces trying to make something great. Trying with my own small and weak arms to hold together all the broken pieces of my story. I found myself at a crossroad of disillusion and anger. And he was the only thing that I could figure out was the problem. Eventually, the he I broke up with then became the he I was hoping to meet. Still trying to find the right guy to fit into the mold. I tried everything to salvage this love story that would make my life look the way it was supposed to look. I went back to church and I jumped with two feet into L.A.'s dating scene. I call those two months of my life that got a little crazy for me, my lost years. It was literally two months of going out and trying to meet someone new. I didn't think I was desperate, but I was. I was desperate to meet someone to distract me from who I was beginning to realize I lost. My best friend. It sucked. Years went by, and at about 28 years old, I decided to try online dating. Ah, I mean, it was the 2000s, and I was a modern girl. It was all very sex in the city of me. 
I was sure that I could salvage a modern love story out of this endeavor. We'd be matched, click, and it could be love at first sight. That was something that was missing from my first version of the love story. We could scrap the whole high school sweetheart premise and trade it out for a sophisticated coffee shop encounter or a sleek moment at the bar with the red glass of wine and sexy black heels. Yes! I decided to make it work. I tried them all. I did OkCupid, eHarmony, Tinder, Match, and Christian Mingle. Not all at once, but I tried them all. I could not be accused of not trying. I was open. The one thing I learned from my lost years was that I needed to be open. After extensive online research and reading Steve Harvey's book, I realized that one, I did not know how to date. Two, I did not know how to talk to men. And three, I was putting way too much weight on the first dates. I needed to practice. I needed to chill out and be cool. So what I decided to do was go on every date that was being offered. It was a phase. So one date that was exceptionally memorable was Rico. I will tell you now, I will never look at Yogurtland the same. I will call him Rico because that is what he told me on the phone that his co-workers called him because of how he smooth-talked the ladies. It was cheesy, but I told myself, Rachel, you have to be open. He may just be a little awkward on the phone. Even though his pictures on the website were not well lit and taken from an awkward side angle, what if he really could sweep you off your feet? I told myself, Rachel, you have to be open. He may just be bad at taking pictures. Before, but before I tell you why I found myself driving home in tears, let me walk you through our wonderful Yogurtland date. We decided to meet at the Yogurtland at the Westside Pavilion. I was learning that I should make the meeting places public and the activities short, like yogurt or coffee, so that in case I had to book it, I would not have to sit through a long dinner and an awkward stare at the check at the end of the evening. I got to the yogurt land in my little white two-door Mercedes coupe. This was before Tyrese. He called me to let me know that he was almost there. I looked across the parking lot and I saw what appeared in the distance as a tall, dark image walking with a cocky sway down the sidewalk. My heart skipped a beat. And I started to imagine how Yogurtland could fit into this new storyline. I checked my makeup, adjusted my clothes, and I got out of the car. He was still a few storefronts down the way, and I started to think, wait, how did he get here? Did he walk? Then I quickly decided I was not going to get all judgmental and materialistic. Rachel, you need to be open. His car could have just been in the shop, or what if he's trying to reduce his carbon footprint? I reached into my back seat and grabbed my purse. When I turned around and shut the car door, there he was in all his Rico Suave glory. Not only was he standing there grinning from ear to ear, but I started to see why he had not driven 
and why he looked like he had a cool sway in his walk. He had one leg that was significantly longer than the other. I nervously smiled and offered him a safe side church hug. As he opened the door for me with his, sh- as he held the door open for me with his shorter foot, ladies first, we walked in the store. I stood up straight to give off the confident, strong vibe. But as he attempted to nestle in close to me while we waited in line, I wanted to crumble. Not only was he a good 5'7 when he stood on his longer leg, but I towered over him since I was 5'9 and I wanted to wear heels. I wanted to start off a new love story in cute shoes. But this storyline was falling apart quickly. He handed me a cup and told me, I've never been on a date with anyone as pretty as you. I smiled and I tried to look at him in the eyes to reciprocate his compliment and salvage this date. I surely could look past a crooked walk. Rachel, don't be so shallow. But as I looked into his eyes, I was faced with the very real dilemma of which eye to focus on. They were looking in different directions and I was not sure which one was actually focused on me. I just left that a shy, thank you. And I turned to serve my yogurt and pick out my toppings. As I sprinkled on some almonds and picked out a few slices of strawberry, I decided I would get to know him. Who needs eye contact, right? I mean, that can be corrected. Can that be corrected? Don't be so close-minded, Rachel. He complimented my shoes and proudly offered to pay for my yogurt. Put your wallet away. You deserve the best. I agreed with him. As I found a seat, that was exactly what I was arguing with God about in my head. God, you know this ain't right. I'm your daughter. Is this really how my story is supposed to go? At my seat, I suddenly realized the room was filled with all kinds of people. I nervously looked around. I wanted to be kind and confident, but I wrestled about what this looked like and what the other patrons were thinking of me. Do they really think I'm on a date? I was ashamed for the both of us. This was not playing out correctly. Nevertheless, I sat and waited for him to finish paying. What am I going to tell him? I knew he was so excited to be out with me. He could not stop smiling or telling me how pretty I was. I looked over at him as he wobbled back to the table in his all-black outfit, faded black polo, almost blue faded black dockers, and all-black orthopedic shoes. He rushed quickly to the table because he was so eager to sweet-talk me, so I decided I would enjoy myself. I asked him questions about his family and we laughed. I ignored all the eyes around us examining our odd pairing, and I complimented his confidence. I can really appreciate a man who is confident and knows what he wants. That's a great trait. He smiled and decided to open up a little about how it wasn't always easy to be confident. It was an honest moment, and he told me how I made him feel so comfortable. Then as I observed his mood shift, I began to realize that it, the reason it looked like he was smiling so much wasn't that he was actually happy, but it was because his overbite pushed his teeth so far out 
that it took a lot of effort for him to close his lips over them. I looked at him pretending to listen, but as I was actually piecing together the places where I went wrong. I realized that his teeth were the reason for all the awkwardly angled photos on his profile. Got it. I made a note and added that to the list of screening for future dates. Wait, Rachel, focus. He is so into you right now. It was hard, though. I wanted to look into his eyes to avoid his overbite, but they were crossed. Then I wanted to look at his mouth to make sure I understood his words. But as he spoke, I started to see how yellow his teeth were. And up in his gum line, there were what looked like cuts. Are his gums actually bleeding? Calm down, Rachel. I wanted to run. But how could I do that to him? He rode the bus all the way across town after a long day at work to meet me. I decided to look at his nose, but it too was unbearable, covered with blackheads that looked like they had been there since the seventh grade. I can't take it anymore. Still, I smiled. I looked down at my yogurt, guarding it from the little bit of spit that came flying out of his mouth as he spoke. I was sure he was going to taint my vanilla yogurt with whatever was causing the bleeding, but I told myself to be kind. He spoke about how he was grateful for his job at the warehouse, but his real dream was to be a singer and songwriter. I politely endured, asking follow-up questions and periodically glancing up at his right eye, which I decided to commit to as the eye that was focused on me. With every layer of conversation unfolding, I could tell he was so happy to be on a date with me, and he was trying to figure out his next move. He was digging for cool pickup lines and trying to woo me, but I shamefully found myself feeling sadder as time passed. This surely is not my love story. There's no turning this around. Rico looked at me. In his right eye, I could tell he was completely attracted to me. It was not in just a lustful way, but... He was piecing together how he was going to tell his mom about me and the life we could have together. His right eye told the truth about how he felt and how all of my and all of my worst fears collided. I wanted a man with big, strong muscles, a nice face, and a nice personality. I didn't even think about the layers of what I didn't want. I was dying inside, but I could not let it out until after the date. Besides, I would still have to figure out how I would let him down. Would I have to lie? Would I ghost him? While I was planning the perfect extra exit strategy that would be kind and gentle, apparently he was building up the courage for the big romantic gesture in his movie. He boldly shared that he wanted to sing me a song and he wanted to sing it for me right there in the middle of the yogurt land so everyone knew how awesome and beautiful I was. My eyes got big. Oh no, Rachel, do something. Think fast. Mayday, mayday, all hands on deck. You were distracted and you were too nice. You must not, I repeat, you must not let him sing. I knew that I could not let him sing. I shyly asked him not to, but he insisted. I pushed back coyly. Oh no, don't, don't do that for me. He winked that right eye at me and told me, don't be shy. 
Just sit back and enjoy. I stood up. I put my hand gently on his arm, hoping the physical contact would distract him. It worked. It's, it's getting late, and I have a long drive. You can sing for me outside. I told him I thought that it would buy me some more time. It did, but I had no solutions when I got to my car. I was trapped. This moment was special for him, but it was devastating for me. I knew he wanted a grand gesture. I knew what he was trying to do, and I think that's what made it hurt more. My ex-boyfriend had done something like that when we were 20. We had been dating for a couple of years, and he decided to embarrass me in the middle of the crowded Greyhound station. He was heading back home to Fresno after a long weekend visit. I took him to the station. I remember crying, telling him, I'm going to miss you. I remember nuzzling my nose into his neck and smelling him. Then out of nowhere, he put down his duffel bags and shouted loudly, I love this girl! It echoed through the terminal. People stared and he pointed. He was like a performer at the pier where we have had our first date. I wanted to shrink out of embarrassment, but my heart was full. He really loved me and I loved him back. That was how it was supposed to be. That was the storyline I wanted, not Rico and not Yogurt Land. With my ex, it was like a scene from a movie, but this felt like an episode of Punked. I wanted Ashton Kutcher to pop out and make this all go away, but he was not backing down. I decided to let it happen. Rico sang his little heart out and searched my face for satisfaction with every note. His riffs were flat, his runs stumbled. I smiled and I pretended to be flattered. I knew he was looking forward to the hug, but as soon as, as I stood next to my car, my eyes began to get watery. My disappointment flooded me. I wanted to just give up. I told him it was my allergies. He gave me a smirk and believed his performance moved me to tears. But as I embraced him, I pulled it together. We said goodbye. He closed my car door for me and made his way back across the parking lot to the bus stop. I smiled and waved, but as soon as I turned the corner, I began to cry. God, why me? This is not the storyline we discussed. I cried the whole drive home that day. I felt bad for how shallow I was. I was alone and I felt abandoned by God. I was clearly trying to honor him with my life. I was praying and seeking him. I was serving and all I wanted was this one thing I had fixated on as the answer to all my problems. I had achieved everything on my list. At that moment, I was so disappointed in the Lord. He was just toying with my heart. I felt abandoned by him. Over the years, that disappointment grew to the point that I would just say things like, it's okay. I'll just be single forever. I would laugh it off and in the same breath, let people know how I was kidding. It was my way of cleaning things up and then very subtly giving off the impression that I was okay. I knew the right answers. I wasn't weak and I didn't need anyone to try to fix me. No one could ever know the turmoil in my head because I hid it. I mean, I shared that I was frustrated with not having a man, but no one really knew the depths of what I was dealing with. 
I hadn't even taken the time to hash it out. No one could ever know how devastated I was with the Lord. I was so distant from his love that it was hard to say that I loved him. In my prayer time, I would tell him how good he was. I would exalt him. I would sing of his praises. But the love word was reserved for when I could see it. When I felt it. Like I did with my parents. Like I did with my family. And like I did with my ex. I couldn't feel his love. I didn't know his love. My love story was in shambles. There was a clear storyline I had pieced together based on my own views of the world, based about based on what I saw in relationships around me, and based on my own brokenness. I had tried to protect myself and plan for the perfect love story. When I found myself at a dead end and unable to make the story come together, I blamed God. In the fall of 2012, My arms were tired of holding together all the tattered pages of my love story. My parents were living in Texas and I was living alone in my parents' home in Los Angeles. I had taken over the mortgage. I was no longer teaching, but I was working for a tutoring company as a coordinator, salesperson, trainer, and manager. I was overwhelmed and trying to learn how to do a lot of grown-up things. My immediate boss was going on maternity leave, so her boss thought it was a good idea for me to take over her job while she was gone. The problem was that the owner's daughter was taking the management of who was taking the owner's daughter was taking over the management of the whole program from Chicago. She was new to the role, she did not know me or trust me, and she was making my life a living hell. I was working long hours, serving in ministry, and trying to have a social life. It was exhausting. I had stacks of mail piled up on the kitchen table, and I was trying to hold my life together all alone. I paid the mortgage, but sometimes I would forget some other basic bills, like the water bill. My neighbors, who were a young newlywed couple who I was renting to, were always so gracious about my flops. So when the husband called me, early on a Saturday morning because he needed an emergency ride to work, I happily obliged. I didn't want to leave him hanging. So I quickly got ready and we rushed downtown. Since he was nervous about work, I decided to lighten the mood and let him know that he didn't have to be worried about my driving. I was driving fast, but I was a good driver. It wasn't all of five minutes later, I took a sharp left on 27th Street from Santa Fe Avenue and a 1967 classic Mustang rammed right into the side of my little Mercedes. We got out of the car, exchanged information, and without even a goodbye, my neighbor was off on his way with another friend that he called, who came to pick him up. The elderly woman in a Mustang drove off and I was standing alone on the corner with a car that was barely operable. I drove home slowly. The accident was totally my fault, so I figured I would have to pay the insurance company my deductible. Turned out, in the stack of papers on the kitchen table, there was a past due notice and a cancellation for my insurance. I was trying to avoid calling my parents so they wouldn't worry. I wanted to have it all worked out by the time I called them, but I was up a creek. I kept the conversation short and I turned off my phone. I wanted to just sit and cry. 
This was exhausting. I was falling apart. What was I going to do? As I laid in despair on my living room floor, I was surprised by a knock at the door. My little Puerto Rican grandma had spoken with my parents and she and so she called my cousin and they drove all the way across town to check on me. I saw it in her eyes. She was worried, but she didn't know how to help. The house was a mess. I was a mess. And I wanted to just give up. My cousin decided that we would go to King Taco. I agreed, but I had no energy to be normal, Rachel. Happy, bubbly, or even polite. I was just done. As my cousin drove, I just began to pour out a little more than usual. I could usually keep it together, but that day I could, could not hold it anymore. I was a strong Latina, independent. So even I was taken back when I heard myself say, I'm just tired of being superwoman. I'm just tired of having to do it all alone. I just want a man to come in to my life and sweep me off my feet and rescue me. I just want to be rescued, taken care of. It was probably one of the most honest things I have ever said. I said this all the time in my storyline in my head, but I couldn't let people know that is what I felt. That would make me weak. My parents raised me better than that. You don't need anyone to make you whole. You have to be strong. You are independent. Only victims need to be rescued. Normally, the world saw Shira, warrior princess. But that day, the Rapunzel who lived in my head finally made her way out. How weak I must have sounded. I saw the pity on my cousin's face when I said it. But I was defeated. My car was wrecked. My boss was breathing down my neck. My car insurance lapped. I was a mess. I was desperately just want I desperately just wanted to be swept off my feet. Why did I have to do all of this alone? What did I do to make my life so hard? Why couldn't I have fallen in love in high school or college and just be married and share this responsibility? I wanted to be held. I wanted to be taken care of. I wanted life to just be easy. I guess my, in my youth, I spent a lot of time in my own head. I remember long rides to the mountains, long afternoons staring out my bedroom window. I spent a lot of time creating these storylines in my head. I imagined what my life would be like as an adult. I imagined what character in the sitcom I would be. I imagined. I became a professional storyteller in my own head. Imaginative and creative. I laid out the visions of finally growing into a beautiful woman. Not that hodgepodge of a girl with awkward features and acne. I imagined junior high and high school to be like saved by the bell. College would be like a different world. And my adult life would be like friends, right? I allowed these things to start to create the storyline for what a successful and happy life would be. The problem is that all those ideals collided with my real life. The biggest thing is that I was painting these pictures in my head about how things were supposed to be, 
so often that I was not even able to really live my life. What it meant to me was not nearly as important as how other people would perceive it. The stories that I painted in my head made me stumble in my walk with God. As I faced the reality, the imaginary did not match up. It seemed like everyone else was walking in my perfectly crafted storyline, but the editors kept cutting me out. The vision I hoped for was not real. The hope and the imagination of my childhood faded. It was not so bad when the story was slightly different, but when it was a complete fail, I couldn't bear it. Even though I was learning to trust God and I wanted to believe that he loved me and that he was all-powerful, there was this disappointment that weighed heavy on me. The continuous reminder that no matter how I tried to toughen it up or polish it, it, I would always be that ghetto girl from the hood who fit in nowhere and who was always abandoned, alone. Every time I got close to someone, they left me. The Lord saw my cycles and he helped me break them. My fragmented narrative and continued disappointments caused me to create even more destructive narratives in my head. And since I was always wrapped in this story in my head with me at the center, then I would find myself communicating those narratives aloud in subtle ways. It's okay. I'm going to be alone forever, I would joke. I know I might be dumb, but... or I mean, I know I might sound crazy, The truth was that no matter how much I laughed it off with my friends, I did feel this way. I really thought I would be alone. I believed I was dumb and that I was crazy to think that I was really meant for something great. In James 3, 2, James told the Christian church, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The writer was not only providing guidance for the leaders and their accountability, but is another call and guide to the perfection for all of us as prompted by the Holy Spirit. In the same verse, the writer seems to move from, we all stumble in many ways to, Anyone who is never at fault in speech is perfect. In the original Greek, the word for stumble and the word for never at fault is actually the same word, patio, patio, which is often translated as offense. We all patio in many ways. Anyone who is never patio in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Or even as the King James reads, For in many things we offend. If any man offend not in word, the same is is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. At first glance, I read it a couple of ways. So, we all make mistakes, and this idea of not making mistakes in my speech is impossible. Therefore, who can be perfect? No one. Okay, I'm free to be ratchet and I can blame 
I can't blame my body for being flesh. I'm only human. Or, I will be determined to always speak perfectly. If I can control what I say, then I can control my body and I won't sin. Then I will be perfect. I will have self-control and I can be good enough to, be, to do God's work. Until then, I'm unworthy. Maybe it's just me. I think that both of these ideas have a semblance of truth, but missing the call to perfection, the call to communion, the call to holiness in connection with the Father that is not managed by my own works. It is not about getting saved and then making your healing happen, but it is about getting close to God and allowing his word to transform you, allowing his word to wash you, and allowing his word into the very crevices of our hearts. When we let God in, our speech changes. When we let God in, our narrative and our heads change, and our bodies and our lives change. The word pateo, as I was studying, meant offense and to cause to stumble. There's another word in the Greek used for offense, which we can talk about in another chapter, but it has a more negative or harsh definition and almost willful stumbling. But this word, pateo, was more gentle. This word used by James feels like the Lord is walking through the stumbling that we just find ourselves in by accident. Like this offense is just parts of life or sin we slip into. These are still mistakes and still sin, but we don't do them on purpose. We don't want to make these mistakes. We don't want to be far from God. This threw me off at first. What I believe God was showing me was that the direct problem to my perfection was lying in my own offense. I was having a hard time walking in perfection because I spent so much time in offense, stumbling again and again over things that I assumed were just part of me. Just part of how things were supposed to be for me. Unhealthy storylines that were not in alignment with the will of the Father. It is hard to be perfect, complete in Him, and confident in our relationship, and constantly stumbling. While I was in prayer and preparing for this section of the book, the Lord reminded me of this cry out to Him. That day years ago, I said aloud to my cousin, I just want to be swept off my feet. I wanted to be rescued. I finally let the words out that day. The Lord was reminding me of that moment to remind me that he heard my cry. He rescued me. No, I'm not married. No, I don't make more money. No, my storyline was not repaired. Still, the Lord heard me. He heard my cry for wholeness. He wanted to rescue me and sweep me off my feet. It's not always about these out-of-a-body grand gestures. Monumental events like weddings, graduations, and baby showers are important and beautiful. However, the meaning and the fulfillment come in the practical side that these moments symbolize. 
The honest reality, the behind the scenes is what makes those moments special. The walk across the graduation stage represents the accomplishment for the graduate as he or she reflects on the hours of sacrifice and studying. The wedding ceremony is beautiful because it is the outward display of real love and commitment between two people. A baby shower is exciting because of the little human that will be born. It's exciting because of all the special moments of love shared in the family. The significance of those moments change if it is only about the event itself. Who wants to go to a graduation for someone who cheated and bought their degree online? Who wants to go to a wedding that was just for show for a couple who actually hated each other? Why go to a baby shower for a fake pregnancy? What's the point of that? So the message of this scripture is a practical one. The how. How do I break past these unhealthy narratives in my head that have been dictating my life and causing me to stay in a cycle of offense, stumbling every time I think I'm okay? How do I learn to practically walk in this perfection, this communion with him, and not in the crazy circus of my own thoughts? The circus in my head has me at the center, but not usually as the conductor of the show. I don't have a mustache and the clean-cut look. My voice is not strong, and it does not demand attention. My voice in my head is not entertaining like the lead of the circus. It is not confident. I am center stage though. Sometimes I'm the clown, making fun of myself so no one else will laugh at me. Other times I'm the lion, raging and roaring because I feel trapped. Sometimes I'm the elephant who is too large for the space, timid and slow. I'm poked and prodded to do tricks. Sometimes I'm the mime caught in my own invisible box, trapped, voiceless. And sometimes, honestly, I'm just a crew of monkeys acting a fool. Not one scenario can hold my attention. There's just too much going on. And then there are times when I'm an acrobat, who everyone is waiting to watch fall. Walking the tightrope, daring death, balancing everything, I know that half the crowd is terrified that I'm going to fall to my death and the other are waiting to see. They want to see me fall. It's crazy in there. The common factor is that I am there, center stage. I am the focal point. I am the brunt of the joke and the center of attention. The narrative in my head had to change in order to break the cycles, the stumbling, I was not intentionally falling. I was not offended by God's word or his will on purpose. I was hurt. I was broken. I had to be able to see that when I cried out to my cousin that day that I just wanted to be rescued, the Lord heard my cry. He heard my heart. And he has taken me on the journey of a lifetime. He wanted to rescue me out of the brokenness of my past. He wanted to restore a new narrative in my heart 
He wanted to put his words in my heart and allow those words to reshape the conversation I was having with myself and my circumstances. It was more than just a mind over matter. It was more than just a shift in perspective. It was spiritual transformation. I wish I could say that it was one of those altar call moments in a prophetic church service. The preacher would call out over the microphone, someone in here is dealing with the lies of the enemy. And I'd raise my hand and walk to the front. He would grease up my forehead with olive oil. He would say, yes, my daughter, you are healed. I wish it happened like that for me, but it did not. I wanted to reach out for the hem of his garment and be whole, like the woman with the issue of blood who reached out for Jesus' garment. In Luke 8, immediately, her bleeding stopped. I wanted my bleeding to stop immediately, too. But it did not happen that way. I had to keep coming. I had to keep reaching. I had to fight past the crowd and moving into places I felt like I had no business. I had to fold over and reach again and again. The Lord was not magically removing every obstacle. He was not leveling the ground in one fell swoop. He was teaching me how to keep a steady pace and how to maneuver with grace over rocky terrain. He was building me up, and it was a miracle every time. It was powerful every time. It was heart-wrenching every time. I had to keep coming and keep fighting and keep pulling back the bandage. It was hard, but he made me strong. I had to pour the word into me. I had to change the way I spoke about my life and my circumstances, but not in a hypocritical way that was just for show. I knew how to do that well. I had to ask God to rescue me. I told him how I wanted to love him. I told him how I was disappointed in my storyline that was not panning out. He showed me how it was not purposefully, how I was not purposefully holding on to these stories, but I still had to let go of them. It was not that I didn't deserve grand sweeping gestures. It was not that I was wrong to want to be swept off my feet. But the storyline was causing offense in me. It was an unrealistic expectation for me to think that my perfection or completion could be held together by something as flimsy as a fairy tale hinging from one grand gesture to grand gesture. God has so much more for me than the storyline I created. He has a more rich and fulfilling plan, story planned for my life. It's not problem free, nor is it always pretty, but it is perfect. It is days filled with love and purpose. It is a place, it is in a place where the people around me could feel loved and encouraged. It is a place where I can be myself and where no one has to wear a costume. It is centered on him. The first step for me was finding a way to stop the offensive language, the offensive storyline that I created in my own head. I had to get out of the circus. I had to confront these unhealthy habits and start verbalizing the truth of his word over my life. I had to give him my storyline. 
I had to let the king of kings sweep me off my feet. What are the storylines that you have created for your life? Maybe you didn't even realize that you had created them. Remember, it's not that they are bad, but the Lord desires to make us complete, perfect. The words that pour from our lips are often swirling around in our heads first. I had a hard time being honest with myself, with others, and with God about these words or stories in my head. I had to choose to be real and let the words out. Eventually, the words changed. Eventually, my life and actions and patterns changed. Are you willing to see your life in a new light? Are you willing to be swept off your feet by the Lord? Maybe these are reoccurring issues you're facing. Maybe there are reoccurring issues you face. The same things that keep on coming up, sins you keep falling for, issues in your family or in your church that keep upsetting you. Is it possible that they are messing up your storyline? Is it possible that the Lord is right there trying to teach you how to navigate a bumpy terrain and change the way you talk about your life? Let's acknowledge the beauty of a good story, but let's also be willing to give it back to the Lord so he can mold our lives into the perfect love story with him in communion, face to face and complete. Well, that was chapter four. I really hope that if you haven't, take a moment and maybe even just rewind this podcast a little bit to re-listen to some of those reflection questions that I mentioned at the end. I think it's really, really an important part not to rush through this as a novel or as an Instagram post. Um, really allow the words to challenge you and to hear Make yourself available to hear from God because there's a good chance that he wants to break some cycles in your life. He wants to rescue you. He wants to carry you through something new. And so let's not rush around. Take some time to journal. If you would like to join our journey to perfect, which includes Bible study, worship songs, um, a literal um, like digital copy of the text so you can read it. These are all things you can do. Go to our website and find um, how you can join the journey to perfect. You can also go to Instagram and the link is in our bio. And um, you definitely want to join us. If you were interested in hearing more discussion, um, you can also go to our Instagram page every Monday during this journey to perfect, which is August through November of 2020. Our co-founder is going live and she is offering um, um, every live on Mondays at 7 p.m. on our Instagram live to be able to um, hash through some of the topics discussed, go through her perspective of the story and also share some of her personal stories. So it's a good place for you to share too, if you want to join the conversation there. Anyway, thank you so much and be encouraged to join the journey to perfect, share with a friend, do all that good stuff. All right. See you in a couple of weeks because new copy will be released probably in two weeks. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Until We Arises podcast. If you have yet to subscribe, please do so on whatever 
platform you may be listening. Also, if you'd like to find out more information or you'd like to give to Until We Arise, you can go to our website at untilwearise.org. You can also find us on social media, either on Facebook or on Instagram at the same name, Until We Arise, and you can get all the information about what's going on and how you can get involved. Thank you so much. And remember, until we arise, what in our community, what in our lives, and what in our world will not change.